it's an educational process that can be transformative, you know, in terms of broadcast and how we experience digital media. I would say for sure it's clear to us this is the future. Now we can just sculpt this experience to make it the most rich and informative experience that, that people can enjoy across multiple time zones, basically. Hello, and welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast, sponsored by Harlequin Floors, the world leader in floors, stage systems, and studio equipment for the performing arts. Our podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Rod. And we are back with Brendan and Judith from Battle Royal, who the last time we spoke to were gearing up to do ESH 2022, a large cultural event in Europe. And we had gone through their preparation of this hybrid event and it's now been done. So tell us how it went. How did the event go? Well, we had uh, a pretty amazing turnout. I think as we were discussing last time, we, we crafted a hybrid style event considering what could have still become a COVID restricted region. And the original plan was to have around 25,000 live spectators there. And we actually achieved that number. So everybody, you know, within the the region of Esh came out and, and reserved tickets and turned up and battled the, you know, the blistering cold. I think we had around five degrees that that period for the event Brr. day. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was pretty brutal and people were complaining about the cold, but the good thing was that it was a type of immersive parkour that we were asking the audience to do. And a big contingent of that interactive element was that they had to learn choreographies from different media installations around the space and contribute to generating energy by completing those choreographies as groups. And this charged uh, various battery stations that we had around the site. And when those batteries were completely full, we entered a countdown phase to launch these rockets, you know, which was a, a creative project from the schools around the region of Esh. They had all these brilliant ideas about developing, you know, journeys and missions for intergalactic travel. And we basically took their drawings and ideas and bundled them into the the, the rocket ships that, that we were launching, which were obviously, you know, projection mapping and augmented reality effects uh, within the event site. And so once the audience had generated enough of this energy, collective energy together, or this co-create energy, as we called it, we initiated the, the final countdown and, you know, we, we, all, we all participated in this and the rockets finally launched into space. And this was hugely successful. And we managed to get a, a, a personal message from the International Space Station by the German astronaut that was in resident at the time. This was uh, a collaboration between the Luxembourg Space Agency, the European Space Agency, and certainly ESH 2022, and us having the, the impulse idea to try to get a message from the International Space Station. So there's this great clip of one of the, the astronauts basically saying, look, tonight's your night, ESH. I'm going to be looking through the porthole, watching you launch your rockets and, you know, and enter this um, this wild journey, which was a fantastic result. We only received that video, I think it was like 48 hours before the event. So we 
quickly slotted it into the event program so everyone could see it. So yeah, it was it was an amazing, amazing experience, an amazing turnout. And what I didn't mention is we had approximately 17,000 digital participants that joined us online through a portal that we'd set up. And basically, this was an interactive experience. So they could actually, you know, see different zones of the event space. They had to complete tasks. We had moments in the live programming or the live show where we referred to the home audience that they had to vote, you know, about what object was going to be loaded into the rocket or um, we had a catastrophe, a, you know, a dramatic catastrophe on site and they had to resolve how that, that happened or who was the culprit that made it made it happen. So this was all super exciting, very, very immersive. And I think this was our goal is to create this real synergy between the, the live spectators and the, the digital spectators and create an authentic hybrid experience rather than the digital spectators literally being a spectator sat on the sidelines and just watching a live feed of other people doing stuff. This is something we really tried to avoid. This was really successful, thankfully. Amazing. Any sort of personal highlights for you, Judith? Oh, there were a lot of personal highlights. I mean, just personally being able to go somewhere again and see a project come to life after these tough corona years was already a highlight, but just on a personal level, I would say a highlight was for sure this um, multicultural, several countries, different cultures coming together, the, the spirit of Europe that even in this very difficult time, just a few days after this war in Europe broke out, it was even more important to see how culture can, can bring people together. But what I enjoyed also very much, there were four main actors from two different stages that connected uh, each other and they played the four main uh, scientific roles. And I just thought they were amazing. They gave 150% into the show um, and we were running interviews with them for the documentation of the project and uh, their feedback was just overwhelmingly positive. They enjoyed this inclusive process a lot, um, being back on stage for sure, after also tough years for them as, as freelance actors to be still able to work in the profession, but also to represent their local culture on such an important international uh, platform, a European capital of culture at the moment that has a really wide reach. Amazing. And obviously, you've done a few hybrid events or even online events throughout COVID as a company. Any sort of learnings about this one that you're going to take into the future, something that things that worked, things that didn't work when it comes to that hybrid nature? I would say for sure, it's clear to us, this is the future. The mixed reality productions is something that, as Brenda mentioned before, the lead up, will it work or will it not be possible to do a live event due to COVID regulations and changing rules in Germany and, and Luxembourg and in and France, all the countries that actually come together in this region. And um, ESH 2022 was some type of proof of concept for us that is scalable. So we want to go this way and that is our future. Mm. For you, Brendan? Yeah, I think just to add to that, I think a lot of people with with due reason were skeptical, you know, about how many people would turn up, how many people would engage in the in the digital experience. But in reality it just it was it just made perfect sense to us because basically we're just just coming out of a COVID scenario at that time. You know, just to remind the listeners, we were, this was February this year. So, you know, it was there was a lot of 
Europe was still in lockdown and, you know, they were just releasing uh, or relinquishing the, the lockdown procedures. Omicron had just come out and, you know, like there was still serious threat there. It could have gone either way. And it just made perfect sense that people would would maybe not feel comfortable to travel, you know, to Ash to, to go to the live experience, but of course wanted to be part of that experience. And so they would take any opportunity they could get to be part of it. So that's that seemed like a no-brainer, but you did have a lot of um, people within the organizational committee who were skeptical that, that that would work. And we didn't get the financial input that we may have wanted initially for that for that digital offering and you know that comes down to do people believe that it's going to be used so what what is the cost per head um, per se for the digital audience and what you're investing in that portal so we would have loved to have done a whole lot more you know and we had a whole bunch of ideas that weren't realized because of cost but now you can see the the true value in it, and and this just adds to our whole approach of hybrid culture, which we're putting towards our clients in the culture sector, but also, you know, the business and corporate world, about how you can bring, for example, eighty thousand global employees together in an engaging and immersive and interactive conference or event online. This is just the way it's going to be done. You know, it, it hasn't been possible until, you know, the last uh, 12 months to, to two years. And now we can just sculpt this experience to make it the most rich and informative experience that, that people can enjoy across multiple time zones, basically. Hmm. I think it's also probably about how that gets marketed to the audiences, right? Because, and, and how does it get sold and does it get sold differently, right? Because if you think about, so the Olympic ceremonies, there's two audiences there, but it's an iconic thing that has a lot of money. So everybody's there's the audience that watches it live and there's the audience, people that watch it all over the world because it is the Olympics and there's that version. When you go in the hybrid thing in events, it's the same sort of thing. You're doing an audience live and you're doing an audience there, but people are not perceiving it as a – people have to be marketed to join that online experience or the live one and that they're equally good, right? Totally. And I think what you what you just said is a perfect example of stagnation within a certain industry or entertainment offering. How has the spectator experience of a broadcast of an Olympics changed, you know, over the last 10 years? I mean, apart from having some flashy visuals and, you know, different stats and the swimmers and everything, it hasn't changed. You know, we are just a, a spectator. We we tune in, we watch the broadcast, we sit back, that's it. So there's a huge amount of innovation that is missing there, in my opinion, in terms of making that an, an interactive experience, you know, for the home viewer, so that that can equal the emotion and effect that you would have if you're live in the stadium watching the 100-meter final sprint. You know, we need to feel that at home. People want to feel that. They also want to have choice and dictate their journey so why are we not offering them those types of tools and um, how do you say options from the comfort of their own home? This just seems like a no-brainer, really. So as much as it is about advertising, I think it's like looking at the gaming world, you know, which is now becoming one of the most fast-growing and dominating industries because everyone knows what to expect when you come into a game. You have full control. That's what it's all about. There's a story and there's a, there's content, but you are in control. And so you don't need to advertise that experience because everybody knows what it is. And it's, it's an educational process that 
can be transformative, you know, in terms of broadcast and how we experience digital media. And now a moment for our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Harlequin. Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools. From the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture and supply of a range of high-quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds and refurbishes stages working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. Harlequin is the global leader in its field with offices in Europe, the Americas and Asia-Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N floors.com. It's really exciting when you think about it from that perspective. And when you go to clients, how do you, you know, not to give away your secrets, but how do you sell that? How do you promote that or get them to understand the, the possibilities within that? Is that a hard sell? No, I mean, we're pretty transparent. We come from a, we come from a conceptual strategy starting point where we basically determine who their audience is, who are they trying to attract, what's their target market, basically. And then we set up some collaborative and, and, and co-creating workshops, you know, to, to sculpt what that event offering is so we fully understand, you know, who it is and, and what the format should be. And we work together on this, and then and then we basically look at all the touch points along the way from the beginning of the campaign, like the beginning of the the communication to the audience all the way through to the post event how engaging can we make that what's going to make people want to click what's going to make people want to refer what's going to make people want to come and you know talk loudly about that experience afterwards and and get the most fulfillment and the most contribution from them during that experience so that that's what it's about for us. Gone are the days when when you can just produce entertainment for entertainment's sake. What what the audience is, well, what we're seeing, the audience is demanding to have you know touch, taste, sound experiences that they can fully control. And of course, they want to be surprised, and there needs to be rules and you know framework and um, borders and boundaries. That's what makes a game interesting when you can't just do anything. But the more control they can have, the more um, immersed they become and, and the bigger campaigner they become. They take ownership of that experience. So this is relatively easy to convince most clients because particularly if you're talking to their marketing teams, this is exactly what they're looking for. They're, lo- they're looking to fully understand how they can engage their audience more. Cool. So, Judith, you've recently relaunched, I'm told by Tao, that uh, Battle Royal Studios. So why, what, what's the shift and, and what can we expect coming up with? Why the shift to Battle Royal Studios and what does that mean for the company? Well, it's an exciting step for us. It actually did start with COVID, obviously, that, uh, I mean, the whole world looked at what's happening, what do we do, what does that mean for us? And COVID really allowed us to pivot into this hybrid cultural approach. We, I think we already talked about in the first podcast a little bit about it, not just uh, the last few minutes. And it just offers us much more possibilities for creating new adventures, for audience engagement. Um, we wanted to transition into something that's actually 
at the pulse of time and so to say also at the pulse of culture even literally take it um, and we work with our partners and collaborators they're always looking for ideas and innovative perspectives on creative ventures and we just saw the opportunity to bundle that in to our offerings so when you say it's a studio is there a physical studio sorry brendan you were going to say something in there no i was just going to say like on top of what you would said the 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 handle studios is really apparent because our offerings have been so broad, you know, from everything from live performance to TV studios, the type filming, digital events, large scale ceremonies, product launches. This is a highly complex and varied offering that very few companies actually participate in. Normally, as you know, you know, you're focused on one format in and you're 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 putting all of your effort into developing those formats. And sure there's a deviation. Maybe you're making you know, permanent shows, but you also do concert shows, you know, for example. But battle has always been across these multiple multiple formats. And also from very small scale to large scale, from intimate dance theater to, you know, opening, you know, arena ceremonies, for example. And we just felt like our our reach and our, our offerings were far bigger than a single entity, which was Berlin. Berlin, of course, is the headquarter for the company. But actually, the studios are all of our different offerings, all of our different platforms, our different partners, our different formats, you know, our rehearsal studio, our, our, our office, our um, soon-to-have international um, holdings. And it's, it's really about a kind of expansion and something which encapsulates all of those together. That's why it's, it's not a creative studio so much as all of these studios are going to be working together to achieve whatever it is that our clients are looking for under that one umbrella. So it's definitely a, a step towards us being able to grow. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like ordering a shirt, which is a couple of sizes too big that we're going to fill out by hitting the gym and you know, <laughs> going to yoga class. But this is the intention and something that we've been planning actually for the last few years. And we're going to see some really interesting rollouts over the next six months, which our followers and clients are, are going to be really surprised and I think ideally pleased about. Because a lot of our listeners are industry-based people, I, I mean, are you always on the lookout for, for people to bring into the company and, and have specific skills? Like, are you, are you, what's the scale of the team that you have and are you looking to scale up with people? Well, we wouldn't necessarily look to employ another 20 people at this stage, but because we were 100% project-based, we're always on the lookout for good people. Might it be from the creative strategy area or experienced producers and project managers? As you as you know, we have this wide range from virtual uh, hybrid live events, show productions, touring shows. So it's always good to meet people that are interested to work with us and start a conversation and see how we can collaborate but at the time, right now, we do it project-based. But also one of our aims is to become more sustainable. You know, it's we, we are active in the event sector, but we don't want to focus only on the one-off events. We want to be sustainable in the literal sense, the carbon neutrality, but also um, having more permanent installation type of shows and production sense experiences, which would allow also to have more 
constant team people to join. And also just to add, as we work predominantly internationally, we're always looking for teams and support networks and suppliers and collaborators in those different markets. So we're actively, you know, searching for people in Middle East, for example, right now. There's different things popping up all the time where we need local team. And as remote work is something that that, that is uh, functioning really well for, for Battle Royal Studios, we are booking people that are based in Portugal or Spain or Argentina. You know, it, it really doesn't matter for us as long as we can figure out a, a working framework there for both parties. We're really happy to be collaborating digitally. How is Europe generally with the, you know, you got, there's war going on in Europe and there's also still COVID around. Like what's the, what's, what's the energy and situation over there that like now for those who aren't there? Gigs still happening? Yeah, I think there's, there's two distinct parties. Yeah, there's the event sector that is just dying to get back to normal. I think you're, you're seeing an absolute saturation in the live music and concert uh, formats because there's a two-year backlog of, you know, of concerts that needed to be rolled out and you it's impossible to rent a venue, basically, because they're all full with shows that should have played in, in 2020. But saying that, I think there's also a hesitancy about if people are fully committed to going back to events. And I, honestly, I, I just don't think anyone really knows at this point. We've had a lot of cancellations or, let's say, postponed events due to the war um, but often those partners had heavy investments in Ukraine and Russia so this was an interruption to them and of course they don't want to um, be supporting um, Russia and, and you know and that market so there's been a lot of withdrawals as, as you've seen in the press and this has interrupted financial situations so there's budget cuts and things like that look I think what we're entering here is just uh, an ongoing state of flux, which is probably going to remain, whether that's, you know, environmental or governmental reform or, you know, social reform, all these things that we've been seeing over the last two to three years seems like a real tipping point, you know, for society in general that we're probably going to be dealing with for years to come. So, yeah, to to, to wait for things to get back to normal, I think, is is highly unproductive. And what we should be doing is kind of working with new new structures and formats to try to, you know, assist the transformations that are happening and, and certainly run in that direction when, when it's positive so that we can, yeah, create a better industry, actually, and create um, more opportunities. I guess that's what makes the events like ESH 2022 an important event, right? Like cultures coming together and, and, and communities still focusing on things that talk about harmony as opposed to other situations, right? That's it. And as you had said, you know, we, we were on site installing when Russia decided to invade Ukraine. And we had delegates, you know, local delegates from the region suggesting that we should cancel the, the event because the moment wasn't right. And it's like, well, well, hold on, you know, why is the moment not right? Actually, what we're talking about here is upholding European values and celebrating those values. And the whole reason we're coming together with these tens of thousands of people is to reiterate those values and make those values tangible. Yeah, not just talking about it, but actually living and sharing those values together as a community. 
And we we actually took over. We had two massive projection sites throughout uh, the Esh city, and one was the town hall right in the center of of Esh city. And we quickly went to the motion designers, and they they mocked up these no war campaigns and support Ukraine, which we projected on um, on the town hall, and you know invited press to quickly come and photograph that. And this was this was literally on the eve of the invasion, so we jumped on it immediately. And this had a huge impact. You know, the whole town, the whole city or region saw that. You know, it got press, it got online coverage. People were sharing it on social media, and you know. It was a small gesture, but this was the point. In order to do that with a co- corporate client, we would have had to go through, you know, numerous mm. rounds of red Approvals. tape. Probably wouldn't have happened. Yeah, probably wouldn't have happened until a week later. But this, we 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 called the director from the Esh European Capital of Culture. We got an instant approval. She said, "This this is a great idea." You know, bless her, um, Nancy, in supporting that. And we went live with it, you know, within an hour, basically. So this is this is the difference and something that that we need to continually support is is bringing together these this sense of community and involvement and value in individuals' lives, but also valuing what we have here in Europe, which is, you know, some of the best conditions and ideology in the world. Judith, do you have anything you want to add to that? It's hard to top that. That was a really good summary. It was a good <laughs> summary, wasn't it? Culture is important and why we, we have all the liberty in free speech and, you know, exchange that is needed. Yeah, and coming from somebody who's sitting in a quite politically uh, charged area myself right now, I can see the the importance of these things and, and what I, you know, for me right now in Hong Kong, there's things I feel I can and can't say and that's been a huge shift in the last couple of years. I didn't have that before and now it's changed. So it is something we should not take for granted <laughs> when we're in the countries that we we can work in for sure. Well, I want to thank you both for, uh, you know, coming back to Theatre Art Life and giving us an update on ESH 2022 and, and Battle Royal Studios upcoming. And uh, I wish you all the best for the rest of the year. And, yeah, thank you. Well, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Theatre Art Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only 38 US dollars per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.